in business, in marriage, and in ministry, having the right kind of partner is critical to success. And that's some of the wisdom that we hear today from Dr. J. Vernon McGee on Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. Now, as you climb aboard and find your seat, Greg and I have got some important things to share about Through the Bible's ministry in India, a country we recently visited together. We did, and boy, it takes a long time to get oh, there and back man. again, I'm telling you. We we might have tested our friendship. We spent so many hours together. Yeah, we, it was so bad we went on vacation separately. Bo- we yeah, home. we both took separate <laughs> vacations shortly thereafter. Anyway, today I'm so excited because not only are we talking about India, a country that we love very much, but yeah. we're, we're focusing on a language that I would say most of us have never heard of, and it's it's in a state called Uttar Pradesh, and the language is Bhojpuri. Mm. And, you know, I just love this, Steve, that we at Through the Bible get the privilege of giving out the Word of God in these smaller groups where it means so much to them. Yeah, and you can, if you haven't already joined our world prayer team, go to ttb.org forward slash pray and join that group of committed prayer warriors. And we've recently been praying for Uttar Pradesh and for the people there. The language, there's 51 million people that speak that yeah. language of Bhojpuri, and it's home to Hinduism, and it also has a long historical connection to Buddhism. So there's a, a great need, there's a great need for the gospel throughout the world, but especially in Uttar Pradesh, India. Yeah, and, and this is just one of those fascinating little factoids. If Uttar Pradesh, which is this, one of the states of India, I think there's something like 28 states. Okay. If, if Uttar Pradesh were its own country, it would have the third largest unevangelized population in the world with a hundred wow. 191 groups that are remaining unengaged and unreached. So wow. just our ability to get it in Bhojpuri, hopefully they will take it into other languages as well yeah. and, and be missionaries. But and we're getting responses, we're getting great responses from that part yeah. of the world. So why don't you read this first one from Uday? Yeah, he writes, four years ago, we believe my mother was healed through the prayers of Christians, which led us to take an interest in God. The same person had encouraged us to listen to your Bhojpuri program. We listened to the program for four days regular, and on the fifth, a Friday, we as a family gave our hearts to Jesus. Wow. Steve, think about that. They only listened for a week, and they gave their hearts to Jesus. Yeah, it's wow. truly amazing. Uh, this letter continues. Today, we continue to be regular listeners and live our lives for Christ. Nothing has brought us more joy. Such wow. an encouragement. Here's one from Sanjay who shares... I used to worship my gods as I was taught to do, which probably means he was Hindu. Oh, yes. But one day a question raised in my mind, who made this universe? Who is real and a true God, and why am I on this earth? I went to several religious people of my community, but their answers were not satisfying me. One day I met a man and asked him same questions. He took out his Bible from the bag and read from it. After a bit, he answered my every query. I felt the completeness in his reply. Later, he introduced me to your program and told me to listen to it for all my queries. And I want to tell you, the messages changed my thinking. God spoke to me through his powerful word and prepared my heart to accept his sovereignty. I was convinced to accept that he is the one and the only creator of everything on earth and above. Through this program, God talked to me, and I realized that I am a sinner, and I need Jesus as my Savior. 
Because I am saved, and now it's my moral duty to proclaim the good news of redemption and salvation to the people who are in the bondages of sin and darkness and trying to get rid of with their deeds and with their religious duties. Please continue to pray for me when I share the good news of salvation to other lost people. Wow. Wow. Steve, what a privilege that we get to give the word out to people who are hungry and ready for it. God saved this guy and turned him into an evangelist. And it happens all the time. Yep. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the way you use your word to transform people's lives. Continue to do that even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's join Dr. McGee now for our study of 2 Corinthians 6 on Through the Bible. Now, last time, friends, we were in the sixth chapter of 2 Corinthians, and the subject of this chapter in our notes and outlines is God's comfort in all circumstances of the ministry. And we saw last time something about the way Paul turns the minister wrong side out and lets you see the type of a man that he should be. We had three nines here, Nine things that characterize the minister, nine characteristics, and there were three sets of them. The first, if you will notice, were physical. The second were mental, and the third were spiritual. And they are very important, by the way. Now he comes down to the 11th verse, and Paul's great heart now goes out to the Corinthians. He almost breaks in this chapter and in the next one. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own being. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. And what he's doing here is, is just opening up his great heart of love here, And he stirs up the hearts here of those that love him. But the interesting thing is, he apparently stirs up the hearts of those who hate God and hate his word to work injury upon those who love him and love the scriptures. Now, we find that was true in the early history of the church. And it's true today. You stand for God and you will find that it'll really cost you something. There's no question about that. Now, he begins to talk about something that's quite important, and yet here's a section that probably has been abused more, and there are some that have interpreted and made it as hard as nails, unyielding, unloving, and yet what Paul is saying is coming from a tender heart of a man whose heart was breaking and a great concern for these folk. And I want you to notice this because I think it's very important to see. He says here, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness." And we find here that this is something that is rather abused today. And if you even walk past a liberal church, why somebody's going to say that you're unequally yoked together with unbelievers. May I say to you that actually what he's talking about here 
is this matter of worldliness that's in the world and also these sins of the flesh. There's so many so-called separated believers that are probably as worldly as they possibly can be. Now, back in the Old Testament on the Mosaic Law, God gave a law to his people who were engaged largely in agriculture, and he said to them, Be ye not unequally yoked together. That's what Paul says here, and he's referring back to the Mosaic Law where God says you shall not yoke an ox and an ass together. Well, one is a clean animal and the other is an unclean animal. And how are you yoked together? Well, you are yoked together, my friend, in a long enterprise. And it's a very real union that is brought about. It's a relationship. May I make a distinction here? Because I find this made today by a great many. This has to do with joining in maybe some local enterprise. May I say to you that it hasn't anything in the world to do with that, but it has to do with joining up in a permanent relationship. Now, how can you be yoked together? Well, marriage is one. An unbeliever and a believer should not marry. A clean animal and an unclean should not be joined together. And I don't think they should be joined together. For instance, let me use this as an illustration. Here is a man that's a professor in a seminary, and the seminary has gone liberal. But he is professing that he's a conservative, that he still believes the great truth. Now, I think that man should get out and away from that seminary because he's drawing a salary there. To all intents and purposes, he's permanently identified with that work and with that organization. He's associated with it in a very tangible, real way. Now, that's one thing. Now, suppose, though, that an evangelist comes to town, holds a meeting, and maybe he uses certain methods that we would not condone at all. We'd not approve of them. But may I say to you, he's preaching Christ, and God's blessing his ministry. Well, are you not to join with him? It's just going to be for two, three weeks, and it's not a permanent sort of thing. Now, I remember when I was pastor in Nashville, we had an evangelist that came to town when without saying a word to any of us that were conservative men, he put his tent right across from my church and the Baptist church in that end of the city. And he came over then to solicit our help. Well, I was rather reluctant because of the ethics of the man. And I found out he was really a screwball and many ways, he could conduct the most informal service I've ever heard. He could be halfway through his sermon, and he'd stop and say, well, I forgot to make this announcement, I forgot to take the offering, stop his sermon, he'd take the offering. Well, if you've forgotten it, I guess that's the thing to do. But he was very informal. And as I say, I'd call him a screwball. And a Baptist preacher and I, we talked it over. He and I were good friends. We were conservative. And so we decided we'd support him. He was going to be there about a couple of weeks, and we supported him. People were saved, friends, no question about that. I wouldn't join with him permanently. I wouldn't be identified as that man permanently for anything in the world. But I see nothing wrong in just maybe one or two weeks. Now, I want you to know how Paul did it. Paul would go to a city. Where did he go? 
why he went to the synagogue. Now, can you imagine a place that would be more in opposition to Jesus Christ than the synagogue? But that's where Paul began. But now wait, and I'm not condemning him for it. I think that's the way he should have done it. That's the way God led him. But if Paul had joined one of those synagogues and had become the rabbi in one of them and stayed there, I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid I'd have some questions. You see, there's a difference in this. It's one thing to be yoked together in a permanent arrangement like marriage or a partnership in business or you identify yourself with a liberal school or a liberal church and join it. But my friend, that's what he has reference to, and he's not talking about this idea today of joining in an evangelistic crusade. There are a lot of men that don't do it the way I do it, and some of them are so much more successful than I am that maybe I'm the one wrong and maybe they're right. But the thing is that I feel like I'm right, and I intend to go along as it is now, but that won't keep me from having fellowship with these men just because they do things a little differently than I do it. They're preaching the same gospel that I preach. They believe the same Bible that I believe. And that's not what Paul is talking about here because he says, What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Well, I certainly don't have any part with them. I'm not joined with them permanently in anything. And I trust you or not. But I'm not going to sit in judgment now of some man today that are doing things differently than I do. Now, verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And now he's talking against idolatry. And certainly we couldn't join with an idolatry. For ye are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I'll dwell in them and walk in them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, the temple of God today is the human body of a believer. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Paul's talking here definitely about idolatry, and about infidelity, and that type of thing, and about joining up with it permanently. Don't be identified with that in a permanent way. Now, to try to articulate this with an evangelistic crusade or with some brother that comes into town and you go and hear him, my friend, may I say to you, that is taking that which comes from the tender heart of a man who has a broken heart and who's being kind and loving and making it as hard as nails, and it ought not to be made that way. But we do need to recognize there should be a separation from that which is worldliness today. Now, I have been with men, and I've had the privilege since I've retired of being in over a hundred different churches, and that means that many pastors. And I want to say I've met some lovely, wonderful men in these churches. It's been the most exciting and the most rewarding time of my ministry, and it's been the most fruitful also, by the way. Now, many of these men, I'm with them. I'm with one man, and he has a certain position. He doesn't fellowship with certain one. And by the way, I don't agree with that man. I think he's being a little too strict. 
I go to another place where I meet a brother. He's fellowshipping with a whole lot of folk I wouldn't fellowship with. But I'm not going to sit in judgment on either one of these brethren, though I may think that they're wrong, because that's not what Paul's talking about. Now, what Paul's talking about is this matter of worldliness. And today, that spirit has gotten into the church in the heart and life of a lot of believers who say they're separated. It's like when we were in the book of Joshua. You see, when Joshua took Jericho and he took it by faith, God gave that to him. And that's worldliness. Now, we can overcome worldliness by faith. But you see, up yonder at Ai, which seemed to be so easy, Joshua was overcome. He could blow his trumpet around Jericho, but he wasn't able to around Ai. And there are a lot of Christians today. Oh, my, they talk about how they're separated and they don't do this. Do you know that they are gossiping and they got the meanest tongue? And very candidly, they're very worldly. I found out that they go in for dress. They go in for gluttony and gossip. A lot of those folk go in for that. And they really do things that surprise and shock me. And yet they talk about separation. And I'm not sitting in judgment on them. But my friend, we ought to be very careful when we are talking about the things of God, and that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, and we love him, and we're separated unto him, when actually we're not separated unto him. I remember when I entered the minister, there was a vice president of the bank who was as godless a man as I've ever met, and he could swear as I've never heard anyone. He called me over to his desk. I think it rather moved him when I announced I was giving up my job and going to study for the ministry. And I think it rather touched him. And he called me into his office and he said, Vernon, I want to tell you a story. And he told me a story. He had a man working for him in another bank during World War I. And he said that that man was as godless and as worldly as he could be. He was a soloist in a church. And he got up one Sunday morning and this godless the vice president was there and listened to him. He got up and he sang about Jesus satisfies. And he knew that Jesus didn't satisfy him. And so a dear lady got up afterward that knew this vice president, said to him, oh, wasn't that a marvelous solo? Sounded just like it came out of heaven. And so this man that worked for him that sang the solo was a teller in the bank. This woman is in doing business, and this teller was attempting to get a balance, and he was off, and he began to rip out oaths, began to curse. And this lady was shocked. She said, who is that over there? Why, he says, that's the voice that you thought the other Sunday came out of heaven. And may I say to you, that was the reason that vice president was the skeptic and the rascal that he really was. Why? Because... He knew that when a professing Christian said Jesus satisfies, he knew he didn't satisfy him. He knew that that fellow was running around. He knew he was drinking. He knew he was cussing. And he knew that if he was a Christian, he wouldn't be doing that sort of thing. And it made this man a cynical individual. And this vice president reached over and touched me on the knee. He says to me, Vernon, don't be a preacher unless you mean it. I've never forgotten that. My friend, don't be a Christian unless you mean it. Don't go around and say Jesus satisfies when he's really not satisfying you. This is what Paul's talking. Wherefore, come out from among them 
Be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. In other words, you'll be a son and daughter that can honor you, you see. A man told me about his boy going away to college, and the boy got alienated from his dad. He was still his son, but he said to him, I can't deal with him as I would like to as a father. I can't talk to him like I'd like to as a father. God says here, he'll be a father unto you. God wants to be a father to you, friends. And if you're going off into worldliness, and you don't mean what you say, and you're hypocritical in your life, you can be sure one thing, he can't be a father to you. Oh, you're his son, don't forget. And you shall be my son. God wants to treat you as a son. doesn't want to everlastingly be taking you to the woodshed. And that is what he means here. Now we come to the seventh chapter of Second Corinthians. And this is the last chapter under the section of the comfort of God. Now we have God's comfort in the heart of Paul. Now this is very personal. This chapter is, oh, how personal it is. And then how wonderful it is, by the way. Now, will you notice that? He says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, he's talking here about holy living. And this is so important. He's actually dealing in this chapter, the thing that's motivating what he's saying is the fact that there was a man in the church in Corinth that was guilty of gross immorality. He had an incestuous and an adulterous relationship with his own father's wife, his stepmother, of course. And the church didn't deal with that. Now, Paul says, if you don't deal with that, I'm coming over there and I'll deal with it. And they did deal with it. And when they did, this man repented. He confessed his sins. And the church had been accurate in dealing with it. Now, Paul, the letter he wrote, had had the right kind of effect. And when Titus came and reported, he says that this man's been weeping over his sin. He feels utterly unworthy of further recognition. And the church over there is determined now they're going to keep things clean. Now, Paul speaks here, having therefore these promises. Well, now, what promises is he talking about? Well, the ones he's been talking about back in chapter 6. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and be a father unto you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Now, God says, now, if you will obey me and do this thing, well, God says to you that I'm going to be a real father to you, and you're going to be my sons and daughters, and I can deal with you, therefore. Now, we need to recognize here, how can we cleanse ourselves? He says, let us cleanse ourselves. Well, we cannot cleanse our own conscience from the guilt of sin. God has done that through the death of Christ and the shedding of his blood. I can't wash out the stain even of a guilty conscience. Now, if we've been cleansed from our sins by the blood of Christ, then our heart need daily cleansing, and that's by faith in the Word which God's given. And when we receive the Word in faith and I act upon it, 
I cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And that's what it means, friends, when the Lord Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. The best bar of soap in the world to clean up is the word of God. And it'll really clean you up. He mentions here, cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Now, is there a difference between the filthiness of the flesh and the filthiness of the spirit? Oh, yes. There are two classes of sin. All sin's filthy in the sight of God, and all sin's filthy. But the filthiness of the flesh, I think, refers to the sins of the body. And then the sins of the spirit, the filthiness of the spirit, are the sins of the spirit. And we're going to see that difference next time. But I'm going to have to stop right there today. So until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Dr. McGee mentioned his notes and outlines in our study today. If you haven't already downloaded your free digital copy of Briefing the Bible, a compilation of all of Dr. McGee's notes and outlines in one book, you need to do that today. Just go to ttb.org. If you'd prefer an abridged paperback copy, we can get that to you as well if you call 1-800-65-BIBLE and request it. Or you can do that online as well. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time as together we make our way through the Bible. Our story on the Bible Bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?